0: Join with us as we are in the middle of an irresistible series looking at this life that Jesus invites us into. uh, That it's actually such a different invitation than perhaps many of us have experienced from perhaps growing up in church or being around uh, religious people. That actually, the life that Jesus invites you and me to model and to follow Him in is a life marked by joy and excitement, passion, and actually a focus on other people, as we're going to learn today. But for many of us, that has not been our experience. And so our goal over these last few weeks and the next two as we kind of walk through this series the entire month of July is to really reignite, at least in this little, you know, cul-de-sac of the kingdom of God, uh, this passion, this irresistible uh, qualities that Jesus modeled into our own life and into our church. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at the idea how grace is irresistible, that it's just there's nothing like it anywhere in the world. Last week, Katie taught us, uh, an incredible message on irresistible hope and how you can have hope even in the most dark and difficult circumstances. And so if you were unable to be here or if perhaps life kind of caught up with you this week and you're like now is the week that I need to hear about irresistible hope. Uh, you've ever had those moments I have to say, like, I need last week's sermon today. Uh, well, good thing for you is that we have our live stream and you can go to our website uh, and check that out and to all of our live stream audience. How are you doing? Uh, glad you're here. Thanks for being a part of our church this morning. Uh, but you can, you can get that as well as the, the list of verses that she walked us through uh, that were just incredible promises for different uh, seasons and struggles that you might face where you can have hope uh, from God's word in your life. So we're excited to continue this morning talking about uh, something that Jesus talked about a lot and modeled, but for many of us, it has become absent in our own story or even absent in the more modern American Christian story uh, as a whole. So I don't know about you, but when you think about an irresistible life, What comes to mind? Like when you have that thought, I want to live an irresistible life, or she has an irresistible life, or that looks like an irresistible life, like descriptively, what does it look like? What does it have as a part of it? What is it? What's its schedule? What attributes are are there? And when I have that conversation with people, often I find that it goes in a pretty cyclical pattern around uh, trying to achieve things or trying to acquire things or trying to match a certain image, either physically or monetarily. Or socially, you know, did, did find a certain status at work or with your friend group. And, and many, many times uh, I, I have that conversation and somewhere along the way, the conversation turns and some phrase sort of like, and it's just exhausting, shows up. And, and people will admit that it's just like, it's tiresome, that our strength runs out so many times before we get to create the life that we desire, that we thought we would, you know, be able to get by now. And what's crazy is, that, I don't know if you know this, that there are many times that maybe you've tried to do it all, have it all, or be it all. But in your pursuit of doing all those things, of having more, all that's left you with is more anxiety, more comparison, more stress, and less peace and less satisfaction. And you start to wonder, maybe the stones were right. That you just can't get no, that didn't work at 9 o'clock either. You just can't get no satisfaction. Am I too, old? never mind. All right, forget it. Never mind, scratch it out. Stones jokes don't work here. All right, so if you love the Rolling Stones, apparently you go to the Church of Rancho Bernardo. Um, and so, but we've all found this, right? That you you can't acquire, buy, or consume uh, satisfaction in your life. Like you can't buy enough, you can't acquire enough, you can't consume enough to find satisfaction in your life. But yet we keep trying. Did you know that last year, 2017 alone? <laughs> Americans spent over $10 billion on self-help or self-actualization books, resources, or apps. $10 billion. So much so that they had to market in the census as a part of our GDP. Like, we just keep going back and going back and going back, and maybe you have as well. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's it's not a bad thing to try to find out how to get self-help. But the reality is is that for many of us, we've found that when we try to do self-help, it actually depends a lot on our self, and our self runs out a lot sooner than we get the help that our self might need. And so we find ourselves in this cyclical cycle, and so people keep writing books, and they keep selling them to me and to you, and they keep making money, and I keep not actualizing myself. And they're living their best life now, but you might not be, right? And so what if the pursuit that we're going after is actually a good thing, we're going about it the wrong way like what if this desire that each of us have in us that i believe is actually hardwired by god in you no matter where you fall in the spiritual spectrum that god has put something in you to say i actually want to experience this life this human story in the most connected the most beneficial way that i possibly can what if there's something that god actually has for you but we keep looking for it in the wrong place What if, as we're going to discover today, that you will never actually become all of who God created you to be by focusing on you? Is it possible, and I hope we find this morning that it actually is true, that you will never become all who God's created you to be if you just focus on you? That there's a bigger story that you're invited into. There's something better that we can all participate in. There's something bigger that we can all lean forward towards. But yet for many of us, at best, that feels like a counterintuitive thought. And for some of us, perhaps because of your story or the you know, the family you grew up in or the experience you've had at your job or maybe even the religious experience that you've had, you feel that that is actually even a dangerous thought. Because the, the story that your life has kind of taught you is that if you don't look out for you, no one's going to. Maybe you're the oldest and mom and dad were kind of absent and so you had to take care of yourself and the family and kind of take care of them and clean up their messes and take care of your younger brothers and sisters. Or, or maybe you're a solopreneur and you, you love that about yourself and you love working for yourself and, and yet you have found over the, over the course of that experience that you've lost the ability to work with other people very well. And, and maybe for some of you, your religious experience has taught you maybe overtly or maybe even more subtly that the Bible or God thinks that, you know, you should remember that God, you know, helps those who helps themselves, and yet that's nowhere in the scriptures, but you've heard that. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at something that actually is in the scriptures that Jesus said actually multiple times, uh, but that this one thing that he said actually has the power to change the trajectory of eternity. That if just the couple hundred people in here and the hundred or so people that were in the first service, if just the, like 300 of us were to get this one thing our city would start to look different. If we were to take this one thing and begin to apply it, if this one thing were to grab a hold of the, you know, American Christian, that we would have missed out on the atrocities of, you know, the last century of racial violence and gang division and divorce and all of these things that plague our society. That this one thing that Jesus taught, not the whole Bible, not even the whole Ten Commandments, not even just the one thing that Jesus said over and over again about faith, but that this one specific thing that we're going to look at this morning, if we had put this into practice, the atrocity of World War II would have been able to be avoided. The, the challenges that you face even in perhaps your neighborhood, the, the disconnection that you might feel even coming to a place like this would go away if we applied just this one thing. If we were to really listen to this one thing, you would probably come to church differently. You would, you would seek something different when you came here than perhaps you have for the last few weeks or months or even years. And so this thing that we're going to talk about is pretty important. And so uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Luke, uh, chapter 22. Uh, if you have it on your phone or brought your own, that's great. If not, there's a blue Bible in the seat back pocket directly in front of you. And I would encourage you to grab it. I want everyone to, to actually look at this. Because this is such a counterintuitive and revolutionary thing that we're going to look at together. And we're actually going to read some words back to each other. So It helps to have the cheat sheet in front of you. So grab a Bible. If you're in the blue Bible, it's on page 514. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 24. As you're turning there, I'm going to give you some context. Luke was written by a guy named Luke. He's a very creative uh, author, especially with titles. Um, But Luke actually was a researcher uh, and a historian and a doctor. And so he was constantly in every arena of his life looking at the facts. And so he was... Going around and asking all kinds of people, eyewitnesses, people that heard stories, people that traveled with Jesus. What was Jesus like? What did he say? What did he do? And he records this story for us from his interviews. And yet, it's not an isolated incident. Actually, Matthew, who was one of Jesus's you know first close followers in his inner circle of twelve, he records the same story. And Mark, who was a disciple of Peter, and Peter was in Jesus's close circle of twelve, also records the story. That was passed on to him from Peter. So we can read this with pretty high assuredness that Jesus actually said this in this context. And so whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, whether you have placed your faith in him as the son of God, whether you believe that this book is trustworthy or not, I want you to engage with us for the next few moments as we read this little teaching of Jesus and see if, man, if that doesn't sound irresistible, if that doesn't sound like that would actually change your life or change the world. And so what's happened is Jesus has just served his closest followers, the communion meal. Up in the upper room, he breaks the bread, pours the wine, says, this is my body, right? You've experienced that. If you were here last week, we had communion together. So that just happened. But before that, Jesus actually washes his followers' feet, something no one would ever expect him to do. He grabs a towel and he gets down on the dirt floor and begins to wash his disciples' dirty, nasty, Middle Eastern sandal-ridden feet. Like imagine walking through the Middle Eastern desert in sandals for years. And then having someone wash your feet. Like, feet are gross to begin with. These feet were pretty intense. And Jesus does that, and he says, this is how I want you to treat other people. I want you to do what I've done to you to serve other people. And then right away, verse 24, they're walking away from that upper room, and it says, a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. You're like, come on, guys. (laughs) Like, you're so oblivious to what's happening. But isn't it true? in in your life and in this story, that our selfishness shows up at the most inopportune times? Like right before your in-laws get to the house or like right before you're on your way to church, theoretically, right? So, you know, when uh, the dispute arose among them as to which of them was regarded as the greatest and Jesus said to them, doesn't even acknowledge their dispute, just teaches them a lesson, right? This is great parenting advice as well. Don't even acknowledge what happened. Don't, Don't even worry about who was right or who was wrong. Just teach the lesson. He says this, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over those people, the Gentiles, and those in authority over them are called the benefactors. What he's basically saying is that people that are in charge use their power for their own gain. And I know you have no idea. That's so hard to comprehend for us in our modern political you know, sphere. that you know, We don't understand this. But his disciples apparently understood that people in charge call themselves the benefactors and Jesus then says, that's the normal operating procedure of the world, but not so with you. That phrase where Jesus says, this is what you're used to, this is actually what the world even, you know, uh, accommodates and, and, and accomplishes, and even cheers on and says, this is actually a good thing. He says, that's what you're, you're used to, but not so with you. Here's a new reality I'm going to remind you of. Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who what? Because It's it's right there, and it's there, and they even put it in bold for you. So we say that again like you like you can actually read it. Who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? serves? It's a rhetorical question, right? Is it not the one who's reclined at the table? Is it not the one who's seated, who's expected to eat the meal, who may be paying for it? It's not the servant. The one who's eating is greater. That's the normal operating procedure of the world. But Jesus says this crazy statement. But I have come among you as the one who serves. I have come among you as the one who serves. This is what you're used to. This is what you see. This is what is common practice in the world. This is what the world applauds and gives credit to and cheers on. But this other thing. Is how I'm inviting you to live, but not so with you. See, Jesus gives this incredibly challenging picture of of a life that modeled this upside-down kind of perspective on the world, and especially the perspective of greatness. He reminds his followers, and I believe he reminds us today that while even those, what we see is that those in influence use their influence for their own gain, That we can do something different. We can do something better. That there's actually something for us to learn in this passage. And yet it's easy, and it was probably easy for the first, you know, followers of Jesus to point fingers outside of themselves at politicians or at leaders or at bosses. And it's easy to point fingers out there, but yet it's also true in here that when I have power or control, it is tempting for me to want to use it for my own benefit. My guess is it's true for you as well. Even this week, there was a meeting I was in where I, was, I was felt like I was being put down, and so I felt myself power up and, and tout my accomplishments and try to prove myself so that someone else was wrong, someone else didn't know what they were talking about. And I'm like a professional Christian, right? It's my job, and yet I know I struggle with it too. Because it's in all of us. It's in our nature. But yet also what's true of you, also what's in your design by God is that there's something inside of us deep in our soul that actually is drawn, is attractive towards, is actually, it becomes irresistible to us when we see someone do the opposite. When we see someone model this life that Jesus so clearly lived out, drawing stark contrast between the normal operating pattern of the world and what he's inviting us into this theme that emerges in jesus life one of intentionally sacrificially consistently and costly serving other people many of whom didn't even have the capacity or the ability in their own life to even repay him or even say thank you and yet he served them anyways served them anyways and he invites you and me to do the exact same thing you see you might want to write this down. That one way to look at this is that when I'm following Jesus, being first is my last priority. That when I'm following Jesus, being first is actually my last priority. That I'm going to go about my normal daily life. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to live in my family. But, but the, the drive in me to be first, to be the best, to be out front, to get my way, no longer is my priority. It actually goes all the way to the back, that that's what it means to follow Jesus. And so if you're here and and you're investigating what it looks like to follow Jesus, I'm so glad that you're here because you got to know that this is kind of part of the deal. And my hunch is if we were to kind of sit down eye to eye and knee to knee and have a coffee and I could hear your story, you would probably say something to me like, you know, I knew that was in there. Like I had heard that along the way. I knew that that was part of who Jesus was. And what he was inviting me to and how he lived his life. But then I met a bunch of people that claimed to follow him. And I didn't get that same experience. I didn't feel that same, you know, sense of invitation that they were wanting to serve rather than be served. And so it's interesting that we're talking about it. And if you're here today and, and, and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus in my life. I'm a follower of Jesus, as much as I know, as best I can figure it out, I'm doing my best to walk in his path, you have to know that this actually isn't optional for you. This isn't like an add-on. This isn't like adding the leather interior to your car. This is the engine. Like This is the thrust of the whole thing. That what Jesus actually invites you and me into, when we realize what he has done for us, it actually compels us to live our lives in such a way where we look for opportunities to honor others, lift others up, meet their needs at expense to self. This is the Jesus that we follow, the one who says that the most powerful person in the room is actually the person who leverages their power for another who has no power. That we follow a Jesus that says, I came, even though I'm God, I'm going to give myself into this, ex- this human experience of frailty and temptation. I'm going to step into all of your mess and all of the challenges of your life so I can be with you. And then beyond that, I'm not only going to just show up. I'm actually going to show up to serve. And not only serve, I'm actually going to show up in such a way I'm going to serve so far as to give myself for you so that you don't have to live with the repercussions of your choices so that you can have forgiveness so that you can have freedom, so that you can have a restored relationship with Jesus. I'm going to serve you that much, whether you receive it, whether you do anything in return, or whether you even acknowledge it at all. Jesus says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to serve. And yet all throughout the Bible, we see this story of humans trying to figure this out. And it's true even still to this day, that you and I are in this constant wrestling match between what it comes natural, of I have to get my way, and what Jesus invites you into. It's the supernatural, but it's very clearly your true calling, your true self to say, I'm going to live in such a way that other people are actually my priority. We see this because at one point, all of us were infants. I remember when Katie and I uh, were expecting our first child, our daughter, Taylor, to be born And we were so excited, and and many of you know some of our story that it took us a long time to get pregnant, so we were very, very excited. And yet, as as the day grew closer to when we were going to, you know, have our our baby girl into our life, we knew, at least in theory, uh, that this little girl was going to uh, expose every area of our life where selfishness still reigned in utter seclusion. Like, she was just going to shine bright lights on all the rough edges of our life, of our marriage. And, and, and show us that we were very much not yet done in growing and transforming, right? Because that's what babies do. Babies are extraordinarily good at one thing, making sure that their needs are met with immediacy. That is what babies are phenomenal at, better than any other creature on the planet. If they're hungry, they're going to scream at you. If they poop their pants, they're going to let you know. If they're tired... They're going to scream and not fall asleep for some reason. I don't understand still to this day how this works. Like you're tired, fall asleep. Don't work up all this energy, right? Even if you fed them, bathed them, changed them and fed them again and you don't know what else to do, they're just going to scream to let you know that they're actually the ones in control still of your life and you no longer have a choice in the matter, right? Babies are so good at meeting and making sure that someone around them will meet their immediate needs. And you know what? They should be. It's a great method for survival. It's actually paramount to their survival. But it's not a sustainable strategy for maturity. It's important to their survival, but it's not a sustainable strategy for their maturity. See, we expect infants to grow up. And as if you're a parent, you've noticed the 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 crazy journey of teaching a little child how to like live in a society and to actually like share. And and to go to bed and to eat when it's time to eat and not eat when it's not time to eat and to use the bathroom and all these things that we have to teach little ones as parents, you expect that they grow up. But what if for many of us getting older, growing up doesn't just mean that we get bigger and more accomplished physically, but what if somewhere along the way something in our soul began to shift where we had a mindset that we looked outside of ourselves See, it would be crazy to expect a child. So, you know what? Like, imagine you're a three year old. It seems like mom and dad have had a real tough week. They're kind of on edge. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to not ask for anything tonight. I'm going to order dinner, and I'm going to put uh, my favorite movie on by myself, and I'm just going to fall asleep without them having to do a thing. You're like, some of you are like, this is my fantasy. Like, some of you, like, even just talking about it for a minute was a good day for you, right? You're welcome. Uh, Like, that would be unbelievable to you. You'd be like, I love this child. I'm so grateful God gave her to me as a gift. But don't miss this. But isn't that same kind of viewpoint that we made up in that fictional story, isn't that still just as amazing when it happens in our adult life and our adult society as well? Like, when someone at your work, comes to you and says, hey, it seems like you've been working a lot. I know you got a big project coming up on Friday. Hey, you know, I was at Starbucks on the way in the office. So I, I brought you your favorite beverage. Here you go. And is there anything that, you know, I can do to help you with that project? Is it, like, I'm, I'm done with my work. Could I take anything off your plate? Some of you are like, yeah, that's never going to happen, right? Imagine if it did. It would be just as amazing. Imagine if this week your, your spouse came home from work early and they ordered food, and they brought dinner home, and it was your favorite place, not theirs. Imagine. You know, college students, if you have roommates, like if you have roommates, you have roommate drama. It's kind of part of the equation, right? And, and so imagine if it, you come home from class, you come home from work, and instead of your roommate practicing their ninja skills to put one more cup on top of the pile in the, you know, all the students are laughing, right? You know, on top of the pile of trash, or on top of the dishes in the sink, and they're like, Okay, don't close the door too hard. Let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, like you had that moment, right? Instead of all that energy, they just did the dishes and you came home to a clean sink. Like that would blow your mind. And they, didn't, and they didn't even taunt it for you, they didn't even keep score. You know, when you came into church today and someone opened the door for you to walk in, where else does that happen for you? I mean, some of you, maybe when you get home, your kids open the door for you. That'd be amazing. Maybe, you know, it happens at your office, I doubt it, right? Who, who, where else do you go where someone celebrates your arrival? Where, where else do you go that you had a seat planned and prayed for you? See, those, those experiences that we have where someone serves us, they're still just as surprising in our adult life. We, we, we notice them, we appreciate them, we think they're nice, but what if, don't miss this, what if they became normal? What if they became normal of you? Not to get, but normal of how you live your life. Because as I was telling some of those stories, some of you are like, man, I'd love to have that kid. I'd love to work at a place like that. I I wonder which one of my coworkers is going to do that for me this week. Do they know that I like an iced caramel macchiato upside down quad shot with extra caramel drizzle? You know, like (laughs) hypothetical. Right, Michaela? Um, You know, like, you know, we have these moments where, like, We often think in those moments, it would be so great to work for someone like that. It would be so great to work with someone like that. What if someone else could work with someone like that? What if someone that you work with could work with someone like that? You get where I'm going? What if that was not just a nice thing, but it was a normal thing of your life? As we grew, as we became more of who Jesus wanted us to be, we began to walk in his footsteps, where we looked for opportunities and, and ways that we can serve other people. And that became a regular part of life. What if it wasn't just nice? What if it was normal? See, that's what actually Jesus came to establish. See, in his day, the, this, this way of God, the, the things that God wanted people to do were usually reserved for just a few super spiritual ones. High priests and, you know, temple, you know, prophetesses and all that kind of stuff, right? Like that, that's who got to do the spiritual stuff. But then when Jesus shows up, This irresistible Jesus, what he does immediately is he begins to say to random, everyday, ordinary people, even ones that think they're unqualified or discounted, and especially ones that society says, no, you can't play in the spiritual realm. He goes, yeah, actually, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to select you. I'm going to invite you in. They said you can't. I'm saying you get to. And actually, I'm charging you that you should. And he puts all of the weight of the spiritual movement of God in the world, in our hands. And he says, yeah, it's weird. It's different. But everyday ordinary people are actually the ones that are going to carry this message. See, Jesus knew, especially in this moment that we just read, when he's hours from the cross, that if this message of God's transformational love and forgiveness was ever going to get out of the first century to restore human life, if that ever had a chance to happen, it was going to be because the people that knew him and walked around with him began to live out these same values that Jesus modeled. And so somewhere along the way, because here we are, thousands of miles away and thousands of years after Jesus, somewhere along the way, somebody in your story, whether you realize it or not, got that and made it possible for you. And the question is, are you going to continue the pattern? Are you going to step into the place that Jesus actually invites you and me into? Because this way of life that Jesus modeled was not just for the super spiritual ones. It's not just for the pastors and the priests and the social workers and the nurses. What if all along God has inviting you and me into this kind of life by becoming a person who serves? And it's because, not, don't miss this, it's, not, it's because he doesn't want to get something from you but it's because God, the one who made you and knows you the best, realizes that there's something that he has for you that you can access no other way than by serving someone else. That he has something for you that you can get no other way than by serving someone else. And so his invitation for you right where you are, in the middle of all your doubts or your mess or the things that you wish you could undo, or the things you wish you would have done, or all the things that make you feel unqualified, what if right now the God of the universe is inviting you to say, what if being for others was for you too? It wasn't just for Jesus or your small group leader. What if it was for you too, that being for others was for you? you got to understand that, that that's actually how people are going to experience the reality that God loves them. See, people are, are, are going to learn that God loves them when they realize how much we love them. That we, those who call ourselves followers of God, followers do this, when we love them, that's going to show them that God loves them. We tell this to our volunteers regularly that when people come to a church like this, they may not have exact words for it, but they're looking for Jesus. But they're going to talk to you. That You're going to check their kids in. You're going to help them find a seat. They're going to shake your hand as you walk in. You're going to give them a cup of coffee. They're looking for Jesus, but they're going to talk to you. And that the reason that you love this church, whether you've been here for weeks or months or years, the reason that you love this church... Is because there are a group of people that come in early on Sundays or come in during the week or they open their home for you to have a group in or they somehow, somewhere use their spiritual gifts to create a place for you to encounter the person and story of Jesus and be restored and empowered to love and follow him. That's why you love this church. It's not magic. And it's not me. Because I'm not doing this or this. It's people. That everything that you care about, someone did. Do you know that it's people like Eric Martin, who's running production right now. I think can mute me at any point, right? But, but Eric saw a need, and he said, I want to jump in and fill it. I got some extra time. I have some skills. I want to look into how I can build and serve this team. Eric, we are grateful for how you serve this church. It's people like Alan and Allison Abella and who consistently work with our babies in kids' life. They are always there making sure that the littlest ones have a sense of care in their life and that young parents know that their kids are not just being watched so they can get a break, but that they're being cared for and that they're safe and they're going to be told that God loves them. It's people like Jeff and Lisa Diggs who care so much for our preschoolers and teach Jesus to them on their level so that three-year-olds come home with their parents or their guardians reciting memory verses and challenging their parents' faith. It's people like Adam Dixon, who don't miss this, has moved up with his small group in kids' life three years in a row from three-year-olds to preschool to kindergarten and elementary school so that they have a consistent voice in their life telling them that they matter to God. The trajectory that that might shift in their life no matter what comes next for those students, we really can't comprehend. It's like Kevin who leads our live stream and week in and week out is making sure that people that aren't here can experience what God is doing here and it's actually been people that have given their life to Jesus via our live stream broadcast. Kevin, thank you. I know you hate this right now but we're so grateful for how you serve consistently behind the scenes, never asking to be recognized because you don't do it for this. You do it because of what God has done in your life. There's so many more, but just a couple. Matt Mangum, who serves on our worship team. Chelsea and David Balderson, who are in here before our 9 a.m. gathering almost every week, making sure that there's a Bible in the back of that seat so that when someone says, hey, turn to that Bible, you can actually access the Word of God right in front of you. They clean up trash and cups that were left from the week before. They make sure you have a pen, and they pray over every seat in our auditorium when they serve. It's people like Audrey and Matt Borger who are on our greet team regularly, and they drive from City Heights to get here early. Thank you guys. So that people know that when they came to church, someone noticed. Because don't you know, in an aggressive culture like North County, San Diego, where people are always trying to match up and they're always feeling like they're under the gun and they always feel like they're not cutting it. Someone's saying, hey, I'm really glad you're here today. Could save their life. Could turn the corner of depression perhaps in their life. You never know what a smile and a handshake could do to someone's soul. You never know. We go on and on of people that take time out of their day to serve. Tim Palmer and Lindley Sullivan, our middle school ministry. Johnny and Becky Ghost in our prayer team. Jason Burns and Nick Bonner who have served as elders for over a decade to make sure this church is heading in the direction of Jesus. People that are giving their time and their energy to make sure that people know that they matter to God. And and here's the thing. You might go, wow, it's quite an operation we've got going on here. They don't do it for this. They don't do it for the applause. They do it because they know that God has put something in their heart and they believe that when they serve, they actually are receiving something from God and gaining growth for what he has for their life. That they are becoming more of who God's created them to be because they're not focusing on themselves. That's why they do it. And so last week when we had our survey, as Katie mentioned, 120 people responded to the survey, which is amazing. For those of you that did that, thank you so much. And if you haven't yet, you are invited. We want your feedback. But here's something that's so interesting to me is that out of that survey results, 48% of people that responded said that they're serving our church in some capacity, whether it's regular or not. 48% are serving our church, which is actually pretty extraordinary. So if you're one of those 48%, thank you so much. What you're doing really, really matters. Whether it's here on a Sunday or throughout the week, it's so important. But that means 52% of our church is missing out on one of the best ways that God wants to grow you. You're missing out on, on living the life that God has actually invited you to live. And so beyond that, we have 123 new serving team roles that we want filled on a consistent basis as we head into the fall. And so that means we actually need you. And, and I shared that with a friend of mine who's a pastor that we were at, you know, 48%. And she was like, wow, that's, that's actually really great. I'm like, yeah, but maybe I'm optimistic. My goal is kind of like 100%. Like I would actually rather our church be all in that everyone in some capacity, with, with all of our busy schedules and life and, and even excuses, that, that's all fine and good. But that we would step into it realizing that God doesn't want something from us. That God actually has something for you as you serve. As you can sit, I mean, I'm just looking around and seeing some of our volunteers nodding their head, which I love because they have that story. They've experienced what God has done in their life as they have poured out and said, I'm not gonna miss this. See, for me, this was actually how I discovered my calling, discovered my spiritual gifts, met my wife, was by serving. So much so that my life goal is that I know that I experience God when I help other people experience God. You're like, well, that's good, because you're a pastor, so that fits. I'm not a pastor. I'm like, you don't have to be, but you you have something in you. There's a, there's a passion, there's a skill. If, if, if there's not and you can't find it, that's okay. You can still play Eeyore. We'll invite you to find a spot on the team. Because many of our tech team and many of our greeters and many of the folks in Kids Life like, I, wasn't, I don't have any education for this. I wasn't trained on this. But I found community and I found connection when I got in the game and realized that God had something for us. See, this is the kind of community that I want us to be. This is the kind of people I think all of us actually want to be because we all know that when we feel it and we receive it it's irresistible. So why don't we show it? And why don't we give it? And why don't we display it so that Jesus is made irresistible to a generation and a culture that's looking for it to the tune of 10 billion dollars a year somewhere else and it's leaving them wanting. We can be that kind of church that makes Jesus irresistible because of how we serve other people. And it's and it's not because we created a manipulative spiritual moment with a sermon. It's because we're the kind of people that are following a savior who modeled this. Cuz imagine for a moment, we've imagined what could happen if we do, but imagine for a moment if Jesus hadn't lived that kind of life. Like imagine for a moment if Jesus actually had put his own needs and his comfort, and and his desires ahead of what you needed, or what I needed. He was like, God, I I'm I'm really not interested in going to Earth, and being you know claustrophobic and confined to a human body. I'm kind of enjoying this eternal, spacious existence up here in heaven. God, I'm not really. I'm kind of busy. I don't really have time to. Go to the cross right now because that's going to one be really painful and i'm also like teaching all these cool messages and look people are writing things down and people are getting healed and like this is actually making a difference isn't that good enough i don't want to repeat it to these guys again god it's it's they're clearly not getting it i've told them over and over again and i just washed their feet and served them their last meal that I'm going to be alive for, and they don't even realize it, and now we're walking away, and they're bickering about who's going to be the best, and they've completely missed the point. And yet he kept going back, kept serving, kept reminding, kept giving of himself to the point of death on a cross, so that you and I can not only have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, but that we can have an invitation into this kind of life. That is how much Jesus loved you. You. He served you so much when he was alive, and he not only did that, he served by giving up his life for your sake and for mine, and he invites you and me, everyday ordinary folks to follow his example. And so the question is, will you say yes? Well the question is will you say yes as best I know how, somehow, some way. I'm going to find a way to consistently, intentionally, and regularly serve other people. And maybe you have that somewhere in your life already. And if you do, great, do it. But our job as a church is to make it as easy as possible for you to do the thing that God's invited you to do. That's all we're trying to do. And so if you don't, this is a great place to learn how. And this is a great place, I think, to consistently serve. Because this is actually the epicenter of God's activity in the world. That God would risk his reputation on us. I don't know about you, but I want to serve it well. And so we've created some space out in our library, like Katie mentioned, with some tents. And there's volunteers out there that can answer questions that you have, tell you their story. And to help you sign up for a team. To learn how you can serve around here and to see how it might change your perspective on church on God and how it might even change your life and arenas outside of here with your job and relationships because this lifestyle of modeling, sacrificial, loving, intentional, and consistent serving is actually what makes you and me irresistible. That's the kind of person you want to spend time with. That's the kind of person you want to marry. That's the kind of person you want to work for. And luckily, that's the Savior that we follow. So I want to challenge and invite you to actually follow him in that way by serving and build this church with us. I would love to pray for you as our band comes up. Why don't you stand, and we're going to pray together, and then we're going to continue in our worship experience. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you that you did not stop short with your own agenda or your own comfort, but that you lovingly served us in a way that, that cost you, but that benefited us greatly, eternally. And so, Jesus, thank you that that's the model that you offer for us. That's what you invite us into. God, I pray that for any anything I've said this morning that was, it wasn't of you, would it just go away? But if anything was, Holy Spirit, would you just turn up the dial for all of us to say, am I really... Am I really following Jesus that way? Am I really stepping into the spaces where I can? I know it's not convenient. I know it might cost me a little bit. Uh, I know it might mean moving some things around in my schedule. But I want to be a part of God's activity in the world. And I want to be a part of doing what I can to make Jesus irresistible to someone else. Because someone did it for us. So Jesus, would you move us this morning? Would this be a turning point in our church? Would would the future be brighter because of the decisions that we even make in these next few moments? I pray that passion would be discovered and destinies would be unveiled and long-term steps and trajectories would even begin today and that there might even be people that down the road years from now say, "I, I started this company because I found out that I was good at something because I served at a church or I met my spouse by serving in the church, and now our family goes here. I I learned that this was true about me, and I was always told that it didn't matter. But I found a home where I was told that my contribution mattered and my presence mattered. And it changed my life. may those be the stories that grow out of the soil of today. That's what we're believing for. And I know that's what you hope for too, Jesus. And so we agree with you in faith that this is your will, that we would model what you modeled to us, and we would love and serve this world, because you loved and served and ultimately gave your life for us. So we pray this in the name of our serving Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue to worship together, we're going to do something that we do every time that we come together, and that's to receive an offering. And so... In a Moment, uh, volunteers are going to come and pass buckets down your aisle, and, and they do this because they know that giving an opportunity for us to contribute into what God is doing is actually how they can serve the larger vision of this church. And so, uh, if you're here and you're a guest, please feel no obligation to give. But if you're here and this is your home, I, I would invite you to give joyfully and generously. If God has done something in your story by your presence here, what you've experienced here to make that possible for somebody else. And so, you know, you can give four ways around here. You can put something in the buckets that come down your aisle now. Or you can text the number on the screen behind me and give electronically. We live in a beautiful world. Uh, or there's a secure kiosk in the back that you can give on your way out. Uh, or you can set up online giving at home and, and have it reoccur uh, even when you might not be here uh, in person. But we would love for you to do that and, and know that what you do when you give is you actually make stories of restoration possible in people's lives. So thank you. For those of you that give around here, I hope it's a joy for you because we are so grateful. So let's give together now. As always, our prayer team is in the back. If there's a space in your life, that you'd love someone to pray for you. And then let's sing together with joy for the fact that God said, I'm here for you. I came to serve you. And that when we trust and expect that he wants to do something in our life it actually only changes us, but it changes the atmosphere around us here at church, in our homes, in our workplaces, and even in our cities. Let's give and pray and sing.